Good morning and welcome. Thank you so much for being with us. My name is Craig. I'm the senior pastor here and it's our privilege to have you with us. I know you've already heard it, but let me just say again that if uh, when you came in, you're given a worship folder, uh, give you an opportunity to give us an indication that you were a visitor with us this morning. If you'd fill out that card, please do that for us. You can just fill it out and drop it in an offering plate on your way by or on your way out this morning. That really helps us a lot, but we really just appreciate your willingness to do that. Uh, if you'd prefer to fill that out online, you can. So uh, we are just so grateful that you have made time to be with us this morning here in worship at Malvern Hill. Uh, if you have your Bible, in just a minute, we're going to be in Acts chapter 26. Uh, so you can go ahead and start turning there. But while you're turning, let me just reemphasize a couple of things I think Pastor Kevin already mentioned. But we do have parent-child dedication this afternoon at 4 o'clock. So the entire church is invited to participate as we just celebrate some of the, the, the children and young lives that are here and the families who are seeking to bring them up to know Jesus. So please come and be a part of that. If you are a parent or a grandparent of those children, you're invited to stay afterward for a light uh, reception. We'd love to have you. Uh, also at four o'clock this afternoon, if you're a guest with us, if you visited once or 30 times, but you're curious to know what it might look like to be a part of Malvern Hill, we have a next steps class this afternoon at four o'clock. And I would just invite you. I will meet you right here in the sanctuary and then take you to a, a separate uh, classroom. But it's just easier for me to meet you here than to try and direct you where to go. But I'd love to see you at four o'clock. And then, um, a couple of other things. Deacon ordination is next Sunday afternoon, so please mark that down. And then finally, next Sunday uh, is Children's Sunday, as Pastor Kevin, I'm sure, already mentioned to you. Pastor Kevin did not mention to you. Next Sunday is Children's Sunday. So um, in the, the 8.30 service will be just like a typical 8.30 service. The 11 o'clock service, our children are actually going to help to lead, and they'll participate in the worship service. So um, parents... Please be aware they're going to need them to, you need, we need them to be here to practice for that Wednesday if they have a part. Uh, but the other thing is, if you're a parent or a grandparent of one of those kids, uh, you're invited to stay after the 11 o'clock service. We do have a luncheon next, next uh, um, what day is it? Next Sunday. Next Sunday, where we would love to have you. All right, that's a lot of announcements. So hopefully you found Acts chapter 26 by now. Uh, I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of God's word. And I'm going to read to you Acts 26, verses 34. 24 through 32. We've been in the book of Acts for quite some time now, and uh, we find ourselves in a situation where, if you recall, if you were with us last week, for instance, Paul has been arrested. He's on trial for his faith. Um, and so he was before a guy named Festus. Festus called him back up, so he's before a guy named Agrippa. And it's in the middle of that trial that we pick up here in Acts chapter 26, beginning in verse 24. The Bible says, And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God, that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Then the king rose, and the governor and Bernice, and those who were seated, sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we love you and praise you and thank you so much for all that you do for us. I thank you for this word. I thank you for the changed lives that we've celebrated through baptism today. Please speak to us through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. 
Um, I don't know if, if you ever have a desire to return to the good old days. That's what the title of our sermon is, The Good Old Days. And so I brought a couple of props with me today. First, just being a milk jug. And a lot of people want to go back to the good old days. And, and in the good old days, you might have somebody actually deliver fresh milk to your porch. And it'd be waiting for you when you got up in the morning, and there it was. And that seems really exciting until 7.30 on Tuesday night when you don't have any milk, and the milk guy's not coming back around until Friday, Right. The good old days seem great some of the times, but there are just aspects about the good old days that we really don't want to return to. In our house, a lot of our fixtures and a lot of our um, appliances would be uh, classified as, as sort of a, an old farmhouse style of design. But you know what's funny about them is that even though they're an old farmhouse design, they still have lots of modern electricity that runs right to them. They have dimmable LED light bulbs. Some of them are even remote control. See, the reality is there are things about times past that we want to cling to just like I'm excited for cooler weather to get here. I've got stacks and stacks of firewood that I can't wait to burn in my house. But you know what I'm so grateful for? I'm so grateful that that's just something I get to do. And it's not something I have to do. Because we have central heat in our house that makes sure that we stay warm. A lot of times when we talk about the good old days, it's just sort of hearkening back to some idyllic time when things would be or should have been better than they are today. Had a record a podcast this week with a lady named Nancy Piercy, and she talks about going back to the good old days or traditional times of the family. And she says, when people say that, I, I'm always curious. When they say the good old days, do they mean 1950 or 1850 or 1750, or do they mean all the way back to the days of Jesus Christ? We think about going to the good old days of Christian faith. Sometimes people want to run back to a time, at least when in their mind they believed that there was a culture that was a lot more sympathetic to the Christian faith than perhaps the culture that we're part of today. Um, but the reality is if we want to run back to a time when Christianity was at its most powerful, run back to a time when the church was what the church was really designed to be, we really don't need to run to 1950 or 1850 or 1750, but somewhere between 50 and 80 A.D. Somewhere around about the time that the apostles were preaching the good news and the apostle Paul was proclaiming the good news. And in the middle of all of that, we see what? We see the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ taking root and beginning to transform lives and even to transform culture slowly but surely, one person at a time. When we walk into the Christian life, the question we're wrestling with today is just, what did you expect? When you gave your life to Jesus Christ, when you became a follower of Jesus, what did you expect? I don't know for certain that the Apostle Paul expected to stand before Caesar's tribunal in chains. It's possible that this man who knew what it was like to stand before religious leaders and his Jewish leaders and to have respect among them, it's possible that initially Paul thought that his life wouldn't be all that different. But what Paul began to recognize over time is that everything was changing. And folks, if we're going to return to sort of the good old days of Christianity, one of the things that we're going to return to is a dependence upon the Holy Spirit of God and a willingness to be looked down upon even for the sake of making Jesus Christ known. So what did you expect? This morning I want us to pull three things out of this passage of Scripture. And we're going to be a little bit creative because I'm going to be honest with you. Preaching through the book of Acts is challenging because by the time we get to this place in Acts, we hear Paul saying the same thing for the third or fourth time. 
We find ourselves in Paul proclaiming uh, the good news. We, we see Paul explaining his testimony. We even see Paul on trial multiple times. And folks, in the middle of all that, it's difficult for us to stay tuned in. So there's a couple of things that I think, though, that in this passage of Scripture helps us to appreciate just how powerful Paul's witness and testimony is and how it can impact us. The first thing this morning I want to say to you from this passage of Scripture is that the call to Christ is the call to die. The call to Christ is the call to die. Remember what I said about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was a man who actually understood, he didn't just understand, he enjoyed a little bit of, of prestige in his position before. Paul was a teacher, he was a rabbi. Paul had respect. Paul had earned that among his Jewish, uh, the Jewish leadership in his time. But here's what Paul was willing to do. Paul was willing to trade all that for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ. The call to Christ, the call to die. Paul was willing to count his life as worthy of nothing for the sake of Jesus Christ being made known. Now, when I say that Paul was willing to die, just understand. Paul stood before this tribunal recognizing that to appeal to Caesar was to put his very life on the line. How could Paul do that? Because Paul had already considered himself dead. All of his old things had passed. His old self was gone. He was living towards Jesus Christ. Folks, discipleship equals death to self. Now, Jesus said this in Luke 9.23. That's your memory verse for this week. But in Luke 9.23, if you want to turn there, you can. Or if you just want to look on the back side of your bulletin, it's right there. But in Luke 9.23, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. This is what it is to be a follower of Jesus. It's to die to who I was. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was... Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a, a, a Christian and a dissident in Nazi Germany. He was a pastor there. He was eventually hanged for his, his war crimes because Dietrich Bonhoeffer wouldn't support the government's position. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer had this to say about Christ and discipleship. He said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. It may be a death like that of the first disciples who had to leave home and work to follow him. Or it may be a death like Luther's who had to leave the monastery and go out into the world. But it is the same death every time. Death in Jesus Christ, the death of the old man at his call. When the Lord appeared to the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, and Paul recounts that story standing before Agrippa in a few verses just above where we started reading. When the Lord appeared to the Apostle Paul on that, that road, it was in that moment that everything in Paul's life changed. Now listen, Paul probably didn't immediately recognize all of it. Just like many of you can recount that the day you became a follower of Jesus, you didn't understand right then just how much it changed. But as, as time progresses, you grew into your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You recognize a little bit more every single day just how significantly your life had changed. Here's the reality. When we give our heart and life to Jesus, everything changes in that moment. The old self dies and a new self replaces it. The Bible says that God actually takes our old heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. There's new life there. So there's, but, but look, it requires the sacrifice of our old life. But before you just lament all of that, I want you to know that in death you find purpose in eternal life. I mean, what in the world would give Paul the courage to stand in this place and to preach and proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus? Because in Christ, he had finally found his purpose. In Christ, he had found a life worth living. 
Y'all, I want you to know that it's not all bad news. Dying to yourself doesn't mean that everything bad or good is gone. It means the bad has passed away and in place of it, you've discovered eternal life. There's hope to be found. The call to Christ is a call to die. The second thing this morning I want us to see is that faithful Christianity is biblical Christianity. Faithful Christianity is biblical Christianity. Listen. A religion that ignores parts of God's word is not Christianity. A religion that ignores parts of God's word is not Christianity. Um, For those of you that have missed the podium, it's back today because I came up here with so much luggage. I couldn't hold on to everything. Uh, But uh, uh, I'm going to read to you just a a quick passage from one of my favorite books. This is a book by a guy named J. Gresham Machen called Christianity and Liberalism. It's written in, I believe, 1923. Um, And in 1923, he wrote what became one of the most important books uh, written in Christianity in the entire 20th century. He's speaking about what was at that time known as liberal Christianity. He says this, In the sphere of religion in particular, the present time is a time of conflict. The great redemptive religion, which has always been known as Christianity, is battling against a totally diverse type of religious belief, which is only the more destructive of the Christian faith because it makes use of traditional terminology. This modern redemptive religion is called modernism or liberalism. Now what Machen would go on to say at one place in this book is that you can't refer to it as liberal Christianity because it has ceased to be Christian when it ceased to accept this book as the total truth. When we insert ourselves as interpreter or, or as as, uh, as as when we begin to determine, I can't get the right words out, when we begin to determine what is and is not acceptable in this book, then we're no longer subjecting ourselves or surrendering to this book. Instead, we're setting ourselves over top of it and telling this book to obey what we have to say. Faithful Christianity is biblical Christianity, and it requires all of the Bible. All of it. So if, and this is the crazy place that we get into, if I begin to say that I'm going to obey parts of this, but not all of this, then I've created a religion completely separate from what is biblical Christianity. So, with that in mind, we need to remember that all Scripture is breathed out by God. All of it. That's what the Bible teaches us. All Scripture is breathed out by God, and all of it is useful and helpful. Not just some parts of it. Now, Bear with me. This might seem a little bit like a lecture for just a minute. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna bring it back home, I promise, in just a minute, okay? Um, so what Machen was writing against was, was liberalism. And, and what liberalism, so um, typical or traditional Christian liberalism, historic Christian liberalism, that's what I'm trying to find, does is it says basically that this book contains parts of God's word, but we've got to figure out which parts are trustworthy. And the rest of it that we don't believe, we just throw it away. So this is, this is what Machen is writing against, okay? Those people who are saying that this book can't be trusted. Now, on the far side, so if we take this all the way around this direction, you've got, you've got the folks that are running to the left, and we're not talking about politics here, we're just talking about the left of, of, of um, the liberal bent toward this book, and they begin to say, well, some of it can't be trusted. Now, in this church... And came to South Carolina at Mountain Hill Baptist Church. The reality is the greatest temptation for most of the people sitting in these pews is not a temptation towards liberalism. None of y'all 
or few of y'all anyway, would look at me and say, I don't believe that book is true. Very few of you would even say, there are parts of that book that I don't believe to be true. Most of you sitting here would say, that book is true. So this is what's wild though. When we begin to talk about faithful Christianity being biblical Christianity, it's not just that we have to be uh, vigilant against those on the left end of the spectrum who would begin to devalue Scripture. Watch this. Just as we have liberals over here, on the other side, what do we have? We have legalists. Now, I don't know how many of you pay attention to the politics and how crazy politics have gotten, but we've gotten to a place where in our culture today, politically, if you're on the far left or you're on the far right, they're sort of running all the way full circle and they're meeting in the middle. So people on the far left are advocating for canceling certain people in certain kinds of culture. People on the far right are doing the same thing. Okay, We're seeing it. They're meeting in the middle. People on the far left are advocating for certain kinds of, of, of segregation even and isolationism. People on the far right are doing the same thing. This is what we're seeing. So when we look at God's word, very few of the people who are in here today find themselves on the far left theologically. Right. The danger for us is that not just that we don't go to the far left, but we don't come to the far right. You say, Craig, there's no danger of being in the far right. Watch, watch. So in the middle part of the 20th century in particular, for legalists, for liberals, the idea was that we should interpret the scripture with a hermeneutic of love. And so what they would say is that the parts of God's word that speak of love are the ones that should be valued most highly. Everything else should be suspect. All right? Well, we recognize that God is love and that's important, but God is also justice, right? God is also uh, even punishment for the unjust. I mean, this is true. So with a hermeneutic of love, so we, we reject that. On the far right, legalism, no legalist says that God's word isn't true, but here's what they'll say. Well, some parts of it should be valued more highly than others. When you're a legalist, you begin to use this book as a bludgeoning tool. And so the parts that fit into your personal tool belt are the parts that you elevate the highest. Right? So perhaps there's, there's the parts about, uh, about exactly, you know, sexuality becomes number one on the list. Everything else falls away. Right? Or there's the parts about leadership and that becomes number one on the list and everything else falls away away. There's the parts about evangelism that becomes number one on the list and everything else falls away. But the problem with that, the problem with that is that this book speaks about a whole lot more than just one thing or the other. It speaks about all of life. All of life. And so the same danger that liberals face is the same danger that legalists face when we seek to not allow this book to shape and mold us, but instead we seek to shape and mold this book. On Wednesday night, I shared, um, just to give you an idea about why we got to be careful the way that we handle this book. On Wednesday night, I shared some data. Uh, The best marriages in the country right now, right? Uh, Historically speaking, for quite a long time, the best marriages in the country are, are, are people who are evangelical Christians who are committed to local church attendance on a regular basis. So people who are committed to the Bible and attend church regularly... They, they're happiest in their marriages, okay? Those dads are the best fathers. They spend on average three and a half more hours per week with their kids than secular fathers do, right? They're, they're, the wives are happiest, husbands are happiest, children are happiest, they're healthiest, all those other things. The most dangerous men 
in the United States for domestic abuse are men who claim to be conservative Christians but do not attend church regularly. And this is why. They become men for whom the Bible is a, is a, is a weapon as opposed to people for whom this Bible is transforming their life. This is what can happen in legalism. With a legalist, you could say, wives submit to your husbands, and then just period, and that becomes the platform that you build everything off of. Without recalling the fact that Paul goes on and says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Legalism runs afoul when legalism identifies one thing to stand on as opposed to taking this entire book. So the Apostle Paul, you're wondering how in the world we got there from from the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul stands before Agrippa and he says, you know the prophets, right? You're listening to them. Here's what Paul understood. He understood that all that Old Testament pointed to Jesus. Paul's looking at Agrippa and saying, Hey, I'm not standing before you saying something that you don't already know about. Because you know what the prophets said. And I'm helping you to understand the fulfillment of those prophets. Faithful Christianity is biblical Christianity. It takes a whole Bible to make a whole Christian. And y'all, the reason that faithful Christianity is wholly biblical Holy biblical is because that Bible is shaping and molding us instead of us seeking to shape and mold what it says for our own selfish purposes. What'd you expect? Did you expect that you'd be able to grab this book and it would always say what you wanted to hear? No! If it only said what I wanted to hear, it's really not helping me. Instead, oftentimes, it's telling me exactly what I didn't want to hear, but everything that I needed so that I might be changed. The call to Christ, the call to die. Faithful Christianity is biblical Christianity. Third this morning, Jesus is always right, but he's not always popular. Agrippa calls Paul a Christian. Now, this is the only, the second time in the entire book of Acts, and I believe there's only three references to this in the New Testament. I, I, I forgot to go double check that. But the second time in the book of Acts where the word Christian is used, it is never used by followers of Jesus. For any of you who might be led to believe that perhaps Paul Agrippa was using this passage of Scripture or this word to sort of honor Paul, this would be the equivalent of you listening to somebody at an award ceremony, thank God for the, the award that they won with their R-rated movie or whatever, and go, oh, that person must be a Christian because they thank God. Don't do that. That's a side note. We did this in the early service. I'm going to go back to that. Look, don't, don't come to me and tell me somebody that's used God's name in vain for uh, all their, their fame and glory thanked God for two seconds at an award ceremony. Did you see that, Pastor? They must be a Christian. They're not a Christian. They just knew that when you heard that, you would give them more money. That's all that happened, all right? So just, just be aware. They're exploiting you. Be careful. Unless you see a life, a pattern of life that looks like Jesus, don't assume that somebody throwing out God's name is suddenly godly. Okay? Agrippa is not godly because he calls Paul a Christian. Agrippa's not honoring Paul. He's mocking him. He says, in such a short time, would you have me also become a Christian, a little Christ? In such a short time, would you have me follow in the footsteps of one that my government crucified? Would you, Paul? Y'all don't miss this. 
We're not guaranteed public acceptance because we belong to Jesus. Jesus is always right, but he's not always popular. So I encourage you to just recognize that. But do this for me. Embrace your life in Christ. Embrace the person that God has made you and embrace Jesus' words. In Matthew 10, 22, Jesus says, You will be hated by all for my name's sake. He told you it was coming. Why do we sit around and wring our hands and go, I can't believe people are mad at me for loving Jesus. Jesus warned us that this was on the way. Y'all, Jesus himself was weirdly popular. So if you, if you watch Jesus, like people flock to him. He's popular, but about the time that the crowds start getting really raucous around him, Jesus says something harsh, like, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't be my follower. So they all show up because they're hungry. We hear that he took a few fish and some bread and he did something, so boom, here we are. Man, we heard he raised somebody from the dead, so boom, here we are. We heard about that wedding in Cana of Galilee. He turned some water into wine, so if he's by the Sea of Galilee, if he could do that with a few barrels, who knows what he might do right here. Like, people are showing up for the spectacle that is Jesus. But as they gather around, Jesus' teachings get harder and harder and more challenging and more difficult. Why? Because he was never there for the spectacle. He was there to change lives and to redeem people from their sinful estate. Y'all, we're not guaranteed. We're not promised. We shouldn't expect some sort of prominence because we follow Jesus. We shouldn't expect a place at the table politically because we follow Jesus. We shouldn't expect people to just love us because we follow Jesus. Jesus said they're going to hate you. Side note, this is why the church is so incredibly important. I mean, listen, this isn't even in my notes. I didn't do this in the first service. Listen to me. This is why the church is so incredibly important. Because if you are living for Jesus in the way that he prescribes in his word, you are going to be hated by many in the world. And you are going to desperately need the Christian community of your local church where you can have relationships with people that are going to love you and support you, even have relationships with people who are going to lovingly disagree with you. But they're going to be with you. Now let me give you the other side of that. If you aren't living your Christian life in such a way that there are people who don't belong to Jesus, who don't find something about you offensive, you may not be living for Christ. Now, I don't mean you should be a jerk just for the sake of being a jerk. Like, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying understand you should look different. If your language is the same as the language of the people around you, if your habits are the same as those of the people around you, if your finances, finances and your spending habits are the same as everybody else around you, you need to ask the question, Jesus said you'd be hated because you followed him. If the world is celebrating you, why? Beware. Embrace your life in Christ. Be who God called you to be. Right? Even if the person that God called you to be means set apart and different from the world around you. 
Even if the person that God called you to be means that you might not have the popularity that you would have desired or the power or the influence or the position. And represent Christ well. Paul represents Christ well here. He's in chains. He's on trial. And yet he's still showing respect to those who really don't deserve it. He's still proclaiming the gospel to those who desperately need it and will not hear it. Represent Christ well. Hugh Latimer was burned at the stake along with Nicholas Ridley for their Christian convictions. The last um, martyrs in Oxford during a time when the Anglican church was cleansing itself. And as, as the fire gathered around them, Hugh Latimer looked at his friend Nicholas Ridley and he says, Play the man, Mr. Ridley. For these fires may burn, and out of this something great may come. Play the man. Represent Christ well. Represent Christ well. How else did Paul represent Christ well? Verse 28, And Agrippa said to Paul, In a short time would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. What did you expect? I don't know what you expected when you came to Christ if you're a follower of Jesus. I'm, I'm not sure what you expected when you walked in the doors here, if you're a visitor for the first time. I'm not sure what you expected, but here's what... I want to leave you with in conclusion. I want to leave you with my responsibility to represent Christ well by preaching the same gospel that Paul preached. You see, the Lord so ordained the events of Paul's life that Paul stood before Agrippa and before this gathered group of people and he proclaimed the gospel. Now some of you are looking at it saying, well, I didn't see the gospel in there. Watch, we got to back up. Paul said in verse 25, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I'm speaking true and rational words. Verse 26, For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. Here's what had happened in Paul's life. And here's what Paul knew about Agrippa and the other people who were gathered together. They knew full well why Paul was there. They knew full well why Paul was there. Paul was there because Paul proclaimed that Jesus Christ had lived a perfect sinless life, that he had been crucified for the sins of others, and that he had, raised, had been raised from the dead. And Paul proclaimed that all who would call upon his name would be saved. These are the things that Paul was preaching. This is what everybody in that gathered room knew. Except Festus, who couldn't seem to get out of his own way. And so Festus says, Paul, you're crazy. And Paul says, oh, no, no, I'm not crazy, sir. Everybody here knows why I'm standing in front of you today. And the reason I'm standing in front of you today is because I believe that Jesus Christ died to save sinners from their sins. And he looks at Agrippa and he says, you're aware of why I'm here. You are aware, and you know the prophets, and you know that everything I'm saying is true. 
And Agrippa says, really, Paul? Really? You would convince me? And Paul says, oh, not only you, but all who hear to be as I am, to be made right by the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This morning, some of you are here just because we had baptism. There's a lot of guests here today. I, I, some of y'all are here because somebody invited you. Some of you are here for the first time, the 30th time. But what I know is that in a room this size, there are certainly some of you here today who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't know what you expected when you walked in the door. But when you leave, I want you to be able to say this thing above all else. I want you to be able to say that Jesus Christ died for my sins. And if I confess my faith in Jesus Christ, I can be forgiven. See, that's what the Bible teaches, and that's what Paul was proclaiming, and that's why Paul was in prison. And so today I want you to know that representing Jesus Christ well means preaching the good news of the gospel of Jesus. Promising forgiveness of sins for all who will call upon his name. Listen, I can't promise you that I can return you to the good old days, whatever those were for you. But here's what I can promise you, that God will rescue you from the sinful old days and your sinful old ways. And put your feet on the solid rock that is Jesus Christ. I can promise you that he will lift you up out of the marshy mire that is your sin. And that he will give you eternal life. I can't promise you that everything will get easier. I can't promise you that tomorrow will be better, but here's what I can promise you. I can promise you that for all of eternity, your security will be grounded, not in your abilities, but in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Paul knew that he was a sinner and needed a Savior, and Jesus saved him. Paul knew that Agrippa was a sinner and needed a Savior, and he invited him to know Jesus. And I know today that if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're a sinner who needs a Savior. And today I want to invite you to come, to meet the God of Paul and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. To meet the God of the Bible. Because Jesus Christ died to reconcile you to that God. You say, Pastor Greg, you don't know me. I just came because somebody was going to get baptized and I'm just thankful the place didn't burn down when I walked in. It didn't burn down. You know why? Because you weren't here by accident. Just like Paul didn't stand before Agrippa by accident. You're here because the Lord decided for you to be here and he desires to have a relationship with you. So this morning as we sing, there's some of you, there's some of you who've expected a lot of things from your Christian faith. And today you just need to repent and say, Lord, I've, I've expected you to do a whole lot, but God, I haven't done anything. Lord, today... I need to recommit myself to you. But there's some of you here today who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ at all. And you didn't come here expecting to get saved. You didn't come here expecting to have your life changed. That's okay. I had a, had a guy not too long ago that joined our church. Here's what he said. He said, Pastor Craig, I sat in my seat for weeks and weeks. And every time you gave that invitation, I just, I just grabbed onto the chair because I just wanted to come forward every time. But I just wouldn't do it. I didn't have the courage. So let me just be very clear. I wasn't sure if I should. Let me just be very clear to you. Right now, when we stand and we sing in just a minute, 
please come forward. I would love to introduce you to Jesus Christ who will change everything and will give you a hope and a future. Just as he did for the Apostle Paul and just as Paul invited others. Stand with me as we pray. Father God in heaven, we love you and praise you and thank you for the day you've given us. I thank you for the witness of Paul and his willingness to stand before Agrippa and others. And in that place, to boldly and faithfully proclaim the good news of the gospel. I pray, Lord God, that you would be work among us today. In Jesus' name, amen.